0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. What a thought that God is holy. Our text, where we'll be in a second, says no shadow of darkness at all. But you don't have to have lived very long to realize that's not us. <coughs> but yet he, holy, perfect, blameless light of all lights, within him dwells no shadow of darkness, would want a relationship with us. Unrighteousness. And that would allow his son, his only perfect, sinless son, to pay our price, so that those of us in this room unrighteous can stand before one day a holy, righteous, perfect God as if we had never sinned. That's the gospel. We were unworthy. We are unworthy. Y'all not paying attention, point to somebody that you know is unworthy. Just just kidding, don't do that. But God is holy and allows us into his presence. Not by anything we did, but by everything Jesus did for us. I wish that was a sermon, we'd go home. If you have a Bible, we're going to the back. Not the farthest back, somebody got excited when I said that. 1 John, John's first of three letters right before his brother, cousin, friend Jude, and then Revelation. 1 John, chapter number one today. We have now finished what became a faith series, not planned, but it worked out that way and maybe beginning what may become may become a series out of John's letter or letters that speaks of the topic of authentic christianity not sure yet don't get ahead don't put that in your notes but we may go there and John's first letter he is writing On purpose. There's a group of people who are leaving the church, the local church, in the very beginning. let's, Let's put this into context. There hasn't been a lot of time in the local church yet for a lot of problems to arrive. It's relatively new. Although there were people there. There's been enough time for people to cause problems. But it's not like this was a few hundred years into the local church you know a lot of different things have crept in but I, I have figured this out I, I wish there was a verse there's probably a verse somewhere in Proverbs that says people have opinions and sometimes they're strong and so John is writing for a purpose to a, a local church local churches who are experiencing some problems Not the problems necessarily like Paul writes about to the Corinthian church, but problems nonetheless. And so when we pick up here in verses five through 10, I want us to understand that John is writing to solve or to help a problem. And we'll talk more about that in a second. If you would, if you want to, if you think God's word is worthy, let's stand as we honor the truth of God's word. If you're visiting, you're either a little nervous right now as to what you've seen and experienced, or you like it. I don't know. Um, but once again, if you're visiting, we are a church that believes the Word of God is truth. All of it. And I think it's worthy of our attention. In verse 5, John says, this then is the message which we have heard of him, Jesus, and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we, church, say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we say that we have, oh, I'm sorry, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Furthermore, if we say we have not sinned, there needs to be a parenthesis there that says, we all know better, but it doesn't. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. We make Jesus a liar. We make God a liar. And his word is not in us. Would you pray with me, Father? We ask you to bless your word. Thank you for what we've experienced as we have worshiped you in song, as we certainly experienced your Holy Spirit manifesting his power in this place. I pray we would be attentive, not to the messenger, but the message of your word. Speak to us, speak to believers, remind us of what's expected. Speak to the lost man, the lost woman, convict their hearts. That they would by faith call on you we ask this in Jesus name amen you may be seated this is a familiar passage of scripture and I want us to look at the topic of walking in the light as I said earlier John is writing to this local church this letter no doubt was passed around he's probably writing from Ephesus if that matters for a couple reasons that we won't get into, but he's writing to local churches to address an issue where people are leaving the church because of personal views or let's just say contrary doctrines. People are also leaving the church because simply lack of devotion to the church. Now let's stop, take a little 20-second timeout and say, couldn't John have written that this week? People leave church for all kinds of reasons. And I'm not here to talk about that. Some of you peaked up. We're not necessarily talking about people that play, you know, a musical church. You know what that is, right? We all played musical chairs, right? Okay. We're not talking about church hoppers or are we, no, no, could be. We're talking about people who are leaving the local church, not in going to the other local church across town, not talking about people that follow preachers. We're not talking about people who follow uh, methods. Y'all following with me? These things exist, but what's happening is These people are leaving because they no longer agree with the doctrines that the church was founded upon, the apostles' doctrine, the teachings of Jesus. They have discovered, by the way, anytime somebody discovers something in a Baptist church, I get a little nervous. (laughs) There's a few of us on staff who talk about the word mystery. I don't like mystery. It was in that song a little while ago, but you know, Jesus and Paul talk about the mystery of the gospel, so I understand that. But people say, you know, we're trying to break this code. I'm like, oh, oh I get nervous. Or someone comes to me after service and says, I discovered something. I'm like, "Oh, not, now's not the time. But people discover, and they discovered that in their opinion, the message of the apostles and the teachings of Jesus, they didn't align with now, there's a lot of intricacies into this, but this is a, a general reason why people were leaving the church. And many of them left because lack of devotion. Lack of, not lack of accountability from the church, but they didn't want to be accountable to the church. Oh, that's a tough word. I probably shouldn't talk about that. Let's just move along. If you sign up... See, I can't move along. See how that happened? If you sign up... There's an expectation. This is not something the Baptists installed. This is something the church installed hundreds and hundreds of years ago. You signed up. You said you follow Jesus like we do. You align with the beliefs of that local church. You've committed your investments to that church. You're going to put in time. You're going to put in a quarter every now and then. You're gonna serve, you're gonna be faithful. This side's spiritual, or at least believe in this side. That's the expectation. This is not something the Southern Baptists put into their documents. This is something God put into his document talking about his word. There's an expectation to be involved, to be accountable. If you miss, you ought to get a phone call. It died, it's not the message. So we, People were leaving. And listen to this. The conflicts were not valid. Everybody's got an excuse for leaving the church, right? Y'all hadn't lost me, have you? I'm not talking about people who leave Central Baptist Church and go to ABC Baptist Church. It's not what I'm talking about. Now, I do think they're church hoppers because they hadn't really ever been a part of the church. But that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what John is talking about here. We're talking about people who have, you know, I don't agree with what they believe, even though what the church believes is the word of God. This is what's happening. I can't believe they expect me to show up, I mean, more than a Sunday, a quarter. These are the reasons. They're not valid reasons for leaving, not the local ABC Baptist, but the church altogether. And John says this in the second chapter, which we'll get there potentially, but I have found that this is a great, great apologetic. I use this often in the church world. In 1 John 2, verse 19, John describes these people who are leaving the church. You've heard this before. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out so that it might be exposed, so that it might be manifest that they were not all of us. So how does that come in? I'm going to tell you, if somebody starts talking about somebody that you know that used to go to Central Baptist Church, but now they go to Bedside Baptist with Pastor Pilla, (laughs) right? You tell them, well, I believe they came out from us, but they were not of us. I hear things sometimes. That's probably breaking news to you, right? And on occasion, there are some people who are out floating in the world. Now, y'all got, I think some of y'all haven't caught on that. I'm not talking about people that leave this church and go to that church. All right, we've got to finish that. Some of you are still thinking it. I'm feeling it. No, we're talking about people that leave the church altogether or they join another church that's not a Bible-believing church preaching doctrine. They fall into this category. I understand some people like other preachers better. Did He really, he really knows that? They left because of that? Yes, I know. I know. I deal with it. It's encouraging, (laughs) right? Just in case anybody thought that was a secret, I know. They went out from us, but they were not of us. I've been approached by people in the community, this is truth, and they've said about a certain person that's no longer in the church of God, believing like the Bible teaches, based on their lifestyle and their social media activity. And they've said, don't they go to your church? And I say, 1 John 2, 19. They came out from us, but they were not of us. That's a good answer. Because anybody that came out from us, not just from Central Baptist Bible-believing church, but from God's Bible believing church that no longer believes God's Bible came out from us, but they were not of us. And they're not gonna bring me down and my church with it. And I'm gonna call them out. So the stuff they believe in never happened in that church. Yeah, but aren't they going to such and such church? You know what, I'm not sure that church is a church. And I just say it that way. It might be a building where somebody gets up and sings. And maybe they quote from Our Daily Bread, or maybe they recopy one of Andy Stanley's sermons, but that doesn't mean it's a church, not a Bible-believing church. And so John's addressing this, and he's saying, hey, church, some of these people came out from us, but they were never of us. People don't just suddenly decide they don't believe the Bible anymore and maintain their Christianship. I didn't say they lost it. I'm saying they never had it because they came out from us, but they were not of us. Because if they would have been of us, they would have stayed with us. That's what John says. So he's addressing this situation. I have found this to be true in my short tenure as pastor and in the pastoral role of a church. Most issues in the church can be solved with the Word of God, teaching the doctrines of the Word of God. That doesn't mean you're going to have a large church, and that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be singing Kumbaya at the end of the service. But most of the problems and difficulties with people's opinions, whether they're doctrinal, theological, or just personal, can be solved with the Word of God. We've all got our own little superficial opinions about how things should go, right? That's all right, we all do. And we can't all get our way. I've yet to find a church where everybody gets their way. But there's some essential doctrines and theologies that are found in the Word of God, not in some supplemental bylaws and policies of the church, that when we all get on the same page, About the essentials. We get along. We understand. Well, I believe the church of Acts had green curtains. I don't know if we have any curtains anymore around here. And that might be why. I don't know. My Sunday school class does. Because we love drapes. John is writing because he wants... The church to know, and I believe he understands the world needs to know what authentic Christianity looks like. If there's a problem in this country, not to mention the world, in the realms of missions and the gospel, it's there's a lot of false advertisement going on in the church about what Christianity really looks like. On any given day, 70 to 80% of Americans say they're Christian. That's been a stat for 50 plus years. God forbid that a country or a group of people would look at America and say, that's what Christians look like. That's what a Christian nation looks like. John says to the church here, here are some truths, here are some realities about what true Christianity looks like. In the very beginning of chapter one, he says in verses one and two, I'm writing about that which was from the beginning. Jesus was from the beginning. He's eternal, which we have heard. They had heard Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. John is the, this is John, the beloved disciple who knows Jesus. And he's telling the other disciples and the apostles and some of that early church, I'm I'm teaching you, I'm telling you what we already heard, what we saw with our eyes. We looked upon him, we handled with our hands the word of life. He says, I'm not coming up with some new theology. I'm telling you what we already knew from Jesus, the word of life. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. Jesus, the word of life. We saw him, we heard him. Let's remember what he said. For the life was manifest, and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which only comes through Jesus, which was with the Father and was manifest unto us. So he teaches uh, this truth of the witness of Jesus' life. But then in verses 3 and 4, he discloses an important doctrinal truth and his ultimate purpose for writing that which we have seen and heard unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father. Authentic Christianity is fellowship with God the Father and his Son. And John's ultimate purpose is found in verse 4, and then we're about to take off. I'm writing to you why that your joy may be full. We've been in church more than a few weeks, been in Bible school. Back in the day, we got the joy, 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 joy down in our heart. Where? One of us. Good. All right. We've heard what joy is. We know what joy is. The biblical definition for joy is uh, not just, yay, joy. It's, It's calmly happy. Oh, it's a mouthful. Christians have joy. They're not just happy all the time. Because some of us aren't. But deep down in our hearts, where? Down in our hearts, we are calmly happy. We're at peace. We're happy. It might not show out here. Because when you hit your thumb with a hammer, happy. Peace like a river. I got peace. Now that's a good one to do when you hit it. I got peace like a river. Right? No, deep inside, no matter what happens, we are calmly happy. Got joy, joy, joy down in my heart. My heart's calm. My heart's at peace. I have joy. Who has joy? The whole world. No, the believer. I'm writing to you believers that your joy, your calm happiness deep down in your heart provided by God himself shall be full, complete, lacking nothing. It means no matter what happens, deep down in my heart, I've got peace. I'm calmly happy, which I like that because I'm not very um, aerobic, when it comes to church. Some of you are a little vocal and aerobic, and that's all right, I grew up around it, I can handle it. I've seen people run, fall, trip, run around the parking lot, come in the front door, back in the back door, I can handle it. There's some things I don't want to see, but I can handle it. But I've never been that way, and I found out it's because I'm calmly happy And some of you who look at me the way you do every Sunday, I'm trying to convince myself that's what's wrong. You're just calmly happy. I've got one sitting on the back row right now. His football coach told me this week, he said, I like him, but I can never tell if he's happy or not. He said, because it's the same emotions no matter what. He throws an interception, he throws a touchdown. He's calmly happy. Right. <laughs> Christians, we, we might get a little outwardly happy or outwardly not happy sometimes. But as a believer, we are inwardly, calmly happy. We have joy. And John says, I want to write to you so that your joy may be full. There's a lot of presuppositions here. It's that a Christian has joy. A Christian has Joy. A true believer, an authentic Christian, has joy, calmly, happy on the inside. Yeah, it's, a, it's football season. For those of us who have a love-hate relationship with the Panthers, we're about to be not calmly happy on the outside, it looks like. And there will be some other things more serious in life to happen that will, sh- will demonstrate our lack of calm happiness on the outside. I don't know if you've heard, but there's some politics brewing, there's some elections going on, and we're going to not be calmly happy on the outside. Amazon has foam bricks that will not damage your TV if you <laughs> care to watch the debates that are coming up. But no matter what happens, church, I got I to I give you this. This is not really part of the message other than the calm happiness. And I'm serious. This is not a punchline. Only God in heaven knows what's going to happen between now and next November. None of these people with a microphone in front of them on TV, no matter what your favorite station is, know what's going to happen. Now, the conspiracy theorists in here think someone's got the puppet strings. The problem is they don't even know what's going to happen. Now, we can sit and talk about this a while if we want to pull up a a chair, and we can all pour our hearts out to each other. My point for saying that is, even though we don't know what's going to happen, and I can just about prophesy that what's going to happen will be different than anything that's ever happened in our country and it's probably not going to be fun tv and it's probably going to be disappointing and you're probably going to get mad you're probably going to have a little righteous indignation but deep down on the inside the true authentic christian is calmly happy john says i want you, i want you christians i want you true believers I want your joy to be complete. Not lacking anything. And so this is what it looks like. For a believer to walk in the light, he must first, verse five, recognize a fundamental fact of the Father. If if y'all just look at me like you've already been here, we'll skip through this one pretty quick. We just... Sang with the choir and after the choir. The fundamental fact of God the Father. He is holy. Amen. Amen. Yes. In verse five, this is the message we have heard of him and declaring to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Amen. Yes. God is holy. He is perfect. Yes. Peter tells us in 1 Peter to be holy ourselves because it's written, I am holy. God is holy. In Isaiah chapter 6, it's a message. If we, I think sometimes in church, if we would just start off the service and read Isaiah 6, 1 through 4, uh, boy, we'd get somewhere fast. And Isaiah talks about God, seeing God. And in the year of King Uzziah, when he died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Above it stood the angels, the seraphims, each with six wings, two over his face, two over his feet, and two he flew with. And one cried to another, to God, sitting high and lifted up, holy, 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 three times holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. as this was happening, verse four, the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. People miss that sometimes. The voice of the angels crying holy. There was power in acknowledging that God was and is holy. The fundamental truth that we must understand if we're gonna walk in the light is that God is holy, he is light, he is the light, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You don't have to be a a Bible scholar to figure out there's this contrast between darkness and light. Wickedness, evil versus righteousness, the holiness of God. You don't have to be very keenly aware to know that we live in a dark world. We live in a sin-cursed world. But we yet serve as believers, A holy, righteous God. And there's an expectation. This is going to sound some of this is going to get kind of grumpy. There's an expectation for believers who are walking in the light to be different than the darkness of this world. When we understand that the God we serve is holy, when we understand that. Not when it's preached to us, but when we understand and consume that the God we say we follow is holy. The Jesus we say we are Christians, Christ-like, little Christ, is holy. And we start to wrap our minds around that. It'll change the way we think, the way we act, the way we talk, the way we do. Here's the word in the text, the way we walk. Walk. It'll never happen until a believer understands the truth of God's word that he is holy. We say that, I've been in church a long time. Ah, That sounds like Old Testament stuff there. Moses couldn't see God. He was holy, all he saw was his backside. Ah. No, God is presently holy, God is light. In him dwells no darkness at all. There's not even a shadow of darkness in God. He's holy. This is a fundamental fact. If we don't understand that, if we don't recognize that, we'll never go any farther in our walk. Not only do we recognize this fundamental fact, we recognize that true fellowship is with the father. He said it in verse 3, truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son. And then he gives some if-then statements in verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. When we recognize what true fellowship is, there's two classifications of people. There's the falsifier and the follower. John, John, I didn't say it. John calls the person a liar. I was reading behind someone that I like to read behind, and they're kind of comical in their writings and their preaching, and uh, they said, you know, they don't understand how John gets this, you know, all the pictures of John It looks like a sissy. He's got long, flowing, curly hair. He's got soft baby skin, real round face. He's laying on Jesus' side. And everybody kind of looks at him. He said, This sissy just called everybody a liar. <laughs> I, I didn't say you were lying. Everybody else shake hands when we leave and say the preacher didn't call me a liar. But John says there's one person who says they have fellowship, but they walk in darkness, that person lies. And the truth, and they don't do the truth. Everybody figured out in life there's a difference in saying and doing? So this is not a person who really is a Christian. This is a person who says they have fellowship with God. Now what is fellowship? Going to church? Wrong answer. We fellowship at church. What's the fellowship that John is talking about? If we say we have fellowship with God, the word fellowship is a real simple uh, phrase. Now, some people say it, it's a good, a good understanding that fellowship is uh, two fellows in a ship. Kind of there, but not quite the Greek. Fellowship is partnership. A partnership or participation. If we say we're in partnership with God, But we walk in darkness, we lie. Not we misspoke. Not we didn't mean to say that. We lie. Here's the truth. John says if a person claims to walk with Jesus, but yet they walk in darkness, he doesn't say have a meeting and sit around and try to figure out why this is happening. He says they're lying. And they do not the truth. It's the person who lies as a falsifier. It's um, to utter untruth. But this person just says they have fellowship with God. The word walk here is a really important word. It means uh, not just to walk aimlessly, it's to, to be occupied with. When we're walking with God, walking in the light, we are occupied by him and with him. We're not aimlessly walking. Now, we may be searching. Where does God want me to go? But we're with him on the journey. This idea is that our lives, this is, this is touchy. I don't, I don't want anybody to leave here mad at me today. Please, it's not a good day for that. God plans and desires for you to be consumed with Him. For everything we do while we, as we are walking in light, to be occupied by Him with Him. And everything you do, whether word or deed, Paul said to the church at Colossians. I'll say this, I've said it a few times. I think the church messed it up a while back. I don't want to put a year on it when we created this narrative that only certain people were called to ministry. Now, I understand what that means. I understand the Bible. And there are certain positions in the church that are called and have certain qualifications and specifications. But for my life, it felt like every time I was in a church service, revival, revival service, we, we singled out, you know, is God calling you to the ministry? Trust me, bear with me, I, I, I understand the logic. But I think we missed it. Is God calling you to be the preacher? God calling you to be a pastor? God calling you to be a deacon? God calling you to the mission field? And we created a narrative, unintentionally, that God only calls certain people into ministry. And the reality is, God's called every believer into ministry. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're an office worker, lawyer, engineer, name it. Fill it in. God has called you as a believer to walk in the light, to be consumed with who he is and what he does. He wants us to be occupied with him. This person says it, they later say in verse 10, I have not sinned. Now there's there's a lot of church history here that I could unpack. There was actually some people that were so, um, I almost said spiritual, maybe spiritual, maybe they were theological, and they had twisted the scripture to believe, to make themselves believe, this is important, to make themselves believe that um, they no longer sinned it was this, it was partially an idea of sinless perfection i have attained which is nowhere in scripture but and i'm being very generic and elementary with this but what they had done is they had twisted the scriptures almost like some in paul's day when he talks to the church at rome and he talks to the corinthians where they had twisted things to make it sound like i'm good so if Jesus died for the sins of the world, then all the sins have been taken care of and the penalty's been paid. So even if I really sin, I didn't really sin. That make sense? Because there are no consequences for sin. That is not the teachings of the word of God. And John's kind of addressing that. Now he, you'd have to been there. I wasn't, but I know a few people that were. You'd have to be there to know exactly who He's addressing. And this idea that, here's, here's a real obvious. Who in their right mind would say, I've never sinned? What would cause somebody to do that? Never sinned? The person that says they walk in the light, or that they love God, or that they have fellowship with him but walk in darkness, they lie, they make him a liar, they make God a liar, why because the bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of god's glory. The bible says none righteous no not one. So if what they're saying is true that they've never sinned, then god would be the liar. But most people with a little spiritual sense knows that god is holy. Therefore he starts off, "Hey, god is holy. God is perfect. God is just. He's not going to lie." These guys are the ones, later he says, deceiving themselves. So you see the falsifier and then you see the follower. But, verse 7, if we walk in the light, as opposed to the person who says they have fellowship with God, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But, if we walk in the light, Unlike the person who says they walk in the light. Church, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light is the trademark of an authentic believer. God has always wanted his people to walk in the light. Back in Isaiah, he says, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Paul said in Ephesians 5, For you sometimes you were in darkness, but now you're in the light, so walk as children of light. What does it look like walking in the light? It means to be occupied with him. What does it look like when a believer walks in the light? In Psalm 119, 105, the psalmist says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He says later, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. What does it look like to walk in the light? Teenager? Not so teenager? It's not looking at me right now, but looking at her friend? Teenager, nine-year-old, adult, at work tomorrow. What does it look like to walk in the light? If it's an expectation of God for a believer to walk in the light, what does that look like? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's pretty bright where I'm standing right now. And even if you go out into that 900,000 degree sun, it's going to be pretty bright. But this world is as dark as it's ever been. And if we don't have the light of God's word, in front of us, leading us, we're in, a, we're in a mess. The true believer, the authentic Christian, is guided by this book, Amen. by the light. There's a lot of stuff going on. And if we're not being guided by this light, we might not see it. Ooh, that was a good one there. We need to plow down there a little bit. There's a lot of, a lot of people saying they're walking in the light, but they don't see the stuff the rest of us see living in darkness because they've chosen not to use the light. Y'all have heard me talk about J. Vernon McGee. He gives this story, just in case anybody's wondering, I, I know what time it is. He gives a story of, um, he went squirrel hunting. Now, now Jay Vernon McGee, I thought he was pretty conservative, but he went squirrel hunting on a Sunday after church. I didn't grow up in a a super religiously strict family. But you couldn't wash clothes on Sunday. You couldn't clip toenails on Sunday. You couldn't do anything on Sunday. I mean, but he went squirrel hunting on a Sunday after church with a church member. He preached at a church. He went squirrel hunting. He murdered squirrels on Sunday after he (laughs) preached. You believe that? So he says, he says it, that it was getting late, I guess they didn't go back Sunday night either. How dare he? But anyway, <laughs> Where would that come from? So, he. It's getting late. It's starting to rain. He says as they were squirrel hunting, you know, they split. One guy went this way, one guy this way, and um, he said it started to rain. It was getting cold. He. There were caves everywhere. He went into a cave, and just. Uh, he said it was dark in there, and. Um, He said for about 30 minutes he sat in darkness until he got so cold he started a fire. He said he started a fire, some pine needles and stuff, and whatever he could find in the cave. And when the fire started, it wasn't so dark anymore. (laughs) And he said he realized he was no longer alone. (laughs) He said there were more, this is in his book, he said there were more spiders than he could count. He, said, he says, there's a snake curled up in the corner that's obviously been watching me the whole time. And you know what he said he did? He got out. <laughs> the third point goes right along with this. Unlike the person who walks in darkness, but says they walk in light, when we walk in the light, the ugliness is exposed. Now here, here's, if you don't, if you take notes, mental, on anything, take it, the longer you stay in darkness, the more comfortable you get not knowing what's around you. James said, look into the mirror. The mirror is the Word of God. The Word of God is the light of God. And we open that mirror. We turn on that light. It's like a crime scene where there's been some cleaning. But nah. There's something still there. Just like you getting stuck in a dark cave and the light turned on, seeing what's around you, you do something. When a Christian, when a true authentic believer has the light of God's word turned on in their life and sins are exposed, they do something about it. And that's why we understand and we acknowledge, we recognize God's faithfulness to forgive. Amen. That's why that verse is in there, by the way. It's expected for Christians to continuously confess because we sin. Oh, really? I know some that do. Christians? Yeah. Continue to sin? Yeah. Does that mean we need to get saved over and over? No. No. Y'all remember this? I, I love this. And I know what time I got. Um, that don't usually mean anything if you're wondering. But um, I love Peter. I think we're like third cousins. And so you remember when Jesus is, gets out and starts washing disciples' feet? Y'all remember that? It happened. And, uh, so he's washing their feet. And Peter, Peter's like me. And he probably do not want anybody looking at his feet or touching his feet. And I'm uh, not foot washing stuff, not for me. And so Peter's like, oh, you're not washing my feet. That's kind of what it said. Um, and it wasn't just because he didn't like feet. I think, I think it's because he um, was ticklish. No, I think it was because um, he didn't want, he knew himself. And he's like, I'm not worthy for Jesus to be washing my feet. Y'all, y'all know this? And Jesus comes to Peter, he said, nope, not me, Lord. And Jesus says something like this, it, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. Peter says, Wash it all. Get my head and my hands and, and all the. Other. And then Jesus' response was this this is important. He who has already been cleansed doesn't need to be cleansed again, but his feet need to be washed. It's a picture of continuous confession, repentance, and the need for God's grace and mercy and the blood that was shed that he refers to in the verse that I skipped because of time, that we need to be continuously forgiven. We don't need to be continuously saved, but we need to be continuously forgiven. And a true believer, an authentic Christian, they're not afraid. Y'all with me? They're not afraid to open up the Word of God and let the light expose their sin. Amen. I'm going to turn this, twisted a little bit. Christian, don't be afraid to open up the Word of God and let it expose your sin. One writer said, hidden sin down here is an open scandal in heaven. God knows it all. Part of it is he wants us to know. I believe some Christians have been convinced to avoid their sin because of shame, because of hurt. And a Christian who doesn't continuously allow the Word of God to expose their sin and confess it and repent and receive forgiveness. Y'all following? this? Here's the full circle. Does not live a life where their joy is full. Amen. Yes. Furthermore, a professing believer who's not really born again Does not have full joy. God, I'm convinced, John, I'm convinced, wants the believer to know that they know, that they know, that they know. They're born again. No Christian, rewind, no professing believer that's not certain of their salvation will ever be effective for the kingdom of God. No professing believer who's not confident in their salvation will ever be in fellowship with God, in partnership with God. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, you don't have to turn there. After all this is said and done, and we may get through this at some point, he says, these things have I written unto you that you may know that you're born again. What things? What we just talked about. What walking into light looks like. What lying looks like. What false professions look like. What false teachings look like. You can live how you want to. God's grace is sufficient. We're sending to the bound. Grace did much more bound. Just go to live it up. That's false doctrine. That's false teaching. That's heresy. Paul said, God forbid. Christians don't think that way. A professor thinks that way. Would you pray with me? Before we pray, I want to ask you this Do you know that you know? Are you convinced in your heart you're born again? Serious question. What does that look like? It looks like walking in the light. It looks like following his commandments. It looks like partnership with him. It looks like being consumed with what he thinks or what he would do or what he would want you to do. Maybe, as or most importantly, being a true believer, authentic Christianity, means constantly being exposed to God's light Followed by constant, often, as needed, confession and repentance of sin. That's what he says. We walk in the light. Our sins, our flaws, our darkness is exposed. And a true believer doesn't continue living in the darkness. A true believer is convicted of their sins. They see themselves as God sees them. And instantly with boldness, in faith, calls on God and says, forgive me. Confession, what's that? Believing the same thing about your sin that God does. Agreeing with God. That's what a true believer does. A true believer doesn't run from their sin when it's exposed, they handle it with God. Are you confident? My goal is to never try to talk somebody out of being saved. But I'm on John's side here. He wants you to know that you know. Peter said, make your calling and election sure. One thing I know for sure is God doesn't want you to be confused about your salvation. He wants you to be convicted that you're born again and in fellowship and partnership with him. we pray and before we have a time of reflection and maybe you need to come to an altar and pray. Before we do that, when we leave here today, can you say with certainty, I know I'm walking in light? Or will you leave today with questions? You know what? I've I've been in darkness a long, long time. Maybe I'm not what I say I am. But today you can know with certainty if you place your trust in Christ. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church events and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbccannapolis.com.